Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Whether or not you identify as a Christian or as part of any organized faith community, you are welcome here. While basing what I have to say on the Bible and my own Christian faith, I hope that you will find something relevant to your life. During these particularly turbulent times, it's important for us to locate sources of truth upon which we can rely and to which we can turn. This week, I hope to provide a helpful context in which we can understand and profit from the celebration of Juneteenth or Emancipation Day. I hope that our hearts can be open to love and compassion for all people and that this love can provide an opening for healing. We begin with a reading from Exodus. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then he said, The God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Here ends the reading. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. A reading from the Emancipation Proclamation. On the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state shall be then thenceforward and forever free. And the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons in any efforts they make for their actual freedom. Abraham Lincoln's proclamation, which freed the slaves in America, sought to redress the most grievous wrong in the founding of the American nation, the ownership of one human being by another. You know, those beautiful words enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, those words did not apply to Negro slaves who were declared to not be fully human. Slavery has been aptly called America's original sin. This year, on Friday, June 19th, Americans celebrate Juneteenth, which commemorates the day in 1865 when, based on Lincoln's proclamation, Union General Gordon Granger read federal orders in Galveston, Texas, that all previously enslaved people in Texas were free. The Civil War had just ended, and now slavery 
was officially abolished to the furthest reaches of the Confederacy. The four-year bloodbath that had divided the American people was over. But the injustices of slavery and the racism upon which it was based would prove to be tragically stubborn. Division would continue. Now, slavery was not unique to America. Its origins go back to the dawn of history. It was a common practice throughout the biblical witness as far back as the time of Abraham. The most foundational story in the Old Testament, Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, is an account of their escape from slave labor. Later, however, the descendants of those escaped slaves would enslave other people who they captured in war. In New Testament times as well, slavery was an accepted practice. Paul's admonition, slaves obey your earthly masters, was used as a Christian justification for the practice among southern slave owners in America. And Jesus was silent on the issue of slavery. Humanity has come a long way. Modern slavery still exists under the slightly kinder name of human trafficking, but it is almost universally condemned by the civilized nations of the world, and certainly in America. In the land of the free, although slavery was officially abolished after the Civil War, racist attitudes, discrimination, injustice, and violence toward the descendants of slaves continued. And as we celebrate emancipation, we must also turn our attention to and honestly examine the state of race relations among us today, even when it requires painful self-reflection. In the wake of recent riots spawned by the killing of George Floyd by police in Minneapolis, I've heard over and over again words to the effect that we need to forget the sins of our past for which we have repented. Most white Americans, we are told, are not racist, and all of this rage and violence only perpetuates the problem. We should punish that small minority of bad cops who abuse their authority, and more and more political leaders on the left and right are pledging to seriously engage in the reform of law enforcement policies and procedures. But then, it's time to move on. Case closed. It is becoming readily apparent that just another kumbaya moment isn't going to hack it. As the Lord said to Moses, I visit the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The sins of our slave-tolerant or slave-owning ancestors are still being visited upon us well beyond three or four generations. For we have not, in fact, truly and fully repented. The sins of racial injustice are not a distant memory. They did not end on June 19, 1865. The evil of racism is cunning and resilient. When slavery ended, Jim Crow laws were enacted to keep the freed slaves and all black Americans in check.
And by the way, Jim Crow was not a real person. It was a stage name of Thomas Dartmouth Rice of New York, who gave minstrel performances in blackface. Those laws which legitimized racial discrimination and de facto denied blacks the right to vote continued to be enforced until the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But even then, the battle was hardly over. A lot of things happened in the hundred years between the Emancipation Proclamation and the Civil Rights Act. In the South, segregation in all of its ugly manifestations ruled. Blacks were denied access to restaurants, hotels, and other public spaces. They were forced to drink from specially designated water fountains and use colored-only bathrooms. Black children attended inferior schools. Public lynchings and other brutal acts were common. Many towns enacted sundown laws, which required blacks to leave town before the sun set. Or else. My father told me about he was haunted by witnessing a public lynching of a black man who had violated the sundown laws in the small town in southern Illinois where he grew up. The man was arrested and charged with an unrelated trumped-up crime. A rabid mob dragged him to the outskirts of town and strung him, strung him up on the twisted limbs of an oak tree. Dad described how the victim's bulging eyes stared out at his murderers and at him, even after the last mortal twitch subsided from his broken body. My father passed his horror and sense of silent complicity on to me, the next generation. Segregation and discrimination did not magically end at the Mason-Dixon line as we Yankees might like to pretend. Although racism in the North, northern states often expressed, expressed itself in subtler ways, blacks who were for the large part segregated into their own discrete neighborhoods in industrial cities had clearly been designated as second-class citizens. Educational and economic equality and equal protection under the law were dreams deferred. The poet Langston Hughes implies the inevitable results of deferred dreams. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? To those who would say that American racism is a relic of the distant past, whose current manifestations are unfortunate aberrations, I would ask, just how distant a past? A generation, perhaps? My brother marched with Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma, Alabama. That doesn't seem too distant to me. I remember the day, to the protest of my parents, he left for that march. We witnessed the murder of Dr. King on TV. And that seems like yesterday. 
And do the names Rodney King, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown Jr., Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd ring any bells? This week we can add to the list of the dead Rayshard Brooks. Is this the distant past to which we refer? Are these the rare and exceptional cases? How long does it take to forget? How long does it take to forget the injustice of the brutal lynching of 14-year-old Emmett Till, whose only crime was being black? And Lord, how will we ever forget Addie Mae Collins, age 14, Denise McNair, age 11, Carol Robertson, age 14, Cynthia Wesley, age 14, who were blown apart by a hate-filled blast while they were attending church. It will take much longer than the 37 years that it took to bring their killers to justice. Listen to how long Martin Luther King thought it would take in his speech from the state capitol in Birmingham, Alabama. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men, darken their understanding, and drive bright-eyed wisdom from her sacred throne? Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice, lying prostrate on the streets of Selma and Birmingham and communities all over the South, be listed, lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men? Somebody's asking, when will the radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal bosom of this lonely night, plucked from the weary souls with chains of fear and the manacles of death? How long will justice be crucified and truth buried? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed to the earth will rise again. How long? Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long. You shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Well, Dr. King, it has been too long. This Juneteenth is not a time to try to forget. It's a time to begin to remember. This is not the time for insipid denials, defensiveness, and rationalizations. It's not a time to pass a few laws and initiate reforms and proclaim mission accomplish. This is not a time to seek simple, self-serving solutions to the most persistent sins which have passed from generation to generation. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. For white America, this is a time to best keep silence and better yet, to listen. Listen to the voices of martyred black men, women, and children crying out for justice. For those of us who would absolve ourselves from being a part of the problem because we hold no malice toward anyone, 
because of their, the color of their skin and claim that we have committed no racist acts. It's particularly important for us to listen. Only a fool would think that the stroke of a pen from a white politician can rewrite history. Only a fool would believe that after centuries of injustice, discrimination, and white supremacist hatred, that crime and violence and poverty will magically disappear from urban neighborhoods. And only a fool would think that young black men and women will now suddenly look up to face the future with hope rather than with downcast eyes of fear and shame. No, it's been too long for that. America, our beautiful and beloved land of the free, like every one of her citizens, was born in sin. And like every one of us, America must confess her sins, ask forgiveness, and truly begin the hard work of repentance. There is no shame in that. There is only shame in denial and refusal. This is work of the heart. This is the work of the Spirit. In this moment of silence, we may begin to hear distant voices singing, We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. Those voices come to us from the past and beckon us to the future. One day, we may be able to join that chorus. How long will it take for us to reach that future? I do not know. But I hope that MLK's words finally hold true. Not long. Not long. Because it's already been too long. Amen.
Free one day, love. We shall all. 